This call is being recorded. Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett, and uh, it's time for another one of the Holiday Chat 2017 episodes. Um, this time I'm being joined by Ryan, and uh, Ryan basically wrote to me saying that he has an opportunity to to buy a business and and uh, sent me an email actually reminiscent of the the zombie business um, video that I had put out in October in the lead up to Halloween, where I talked about an old school business that that hadn't moved in, in, you know, a couple hundred years and, and it really wasn't worth buying. And, and Ryan's question was, is this business I'm looking at one of these zombie businesses and how might we be able to take a look at this business? Is, and is there something here that we, we can actually buy and, and what, what makes sense is from a purchase point of view. So, so Ryan, I, I think I'd like to ask you just to start off, if you can tell a little bit, tell me about how you came to find out that this business was for sale and then a little bit about the business, what they do and, and things like that. Yeah, I uh, was actually out to dinner and I was talking to the owner of the business and his wife and his wife said that she was going to be retiring about a month and the owner of the business said, yeah, I think I'm going to have to advertise the business for sale. So that's kind of how I found out that they were even looking to sell because this owner's owned it for 34 years and it's been in his family for about 50 years. Um, it's a beer distribution business. They have a retail storefront and they do business-to-business uh, -business selling to bars. So that's basically what we're looking at. Okay, so... You said that the wife was going to retire. Do both of these people work in the business today? No, the wife has another job. Oh, I see. So the idea being that if she retires, then he would want to retire so they can go off and travel and whatnot together. Right. Okay. So they, so I'm, I'm picturing this in my head. So it's, it's a building on the front of it. There's a, a beer store where people walk in, they make cash purchases. And then they've also got a delivery truck and they go around delivering to bars. How, how far afield do you think they might cover? They cover uh, our entire county, which isn't that huge of an area. They deliver to, I believe right now it's 16 bars, and then they supply some brands to three different beer distributors as well. Okay. So they so they're distributing on behalf of someone else to get out to other stores, right? Okay. So, what uh, what kind of annual sales does this business do? Do you know? About one point three million. And have you had uh, any kind of discussions about the financial performance? Yeah, um, the owner, the average that he's netting out of the business right now is about eighty thousand a year. And there's more to have there. He He's in there about 20 to 25 hours a week, nine months out of the year. He travels to his vacation home for three months in the winter. So uh, his labor costs are high because of that. So if you were there, you know, initially, you'd probably be working longer hours and you'd be there year round. So you would displace some of his employees is what you're thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking that I could, I could, squeeze another 25,000 out just in the savings on uh, labor costs. So this, 
this uh, 80,000 a year that he is taking out of the business, is that the discretionary earnings? So that's the profit and his salary? Yes. Okay. So, and what's he asking for this business? He's asking 485,000 plus inventory. What kind of inventory is typically there? Right now, he said the inventory is at about 120,000, but he said that the business can run with an inventory of 50 to 60,000 and then an additional 25,000 for working capital. Okay. And and did he explain why he's got double the inventory required? Yeah, he said that they run sales on uh on certain cases of beer leading up to the end of the year and he usually tries to buy enough product to get him through the uh the beginning of March that time. So so by bringing a bunch of extra money into the business, he's reducing his cost of goods sold. Right. Do you have any idea how much, how much he'll save by bringing that extra 70 grand into his business? It's about 50 cents per case. And you're talking about maybe eight, 8,000 cases in that time frame. All right, so by bringing an extra 70 grand into his business for two months, he's going to make, you know, what you said, you said 8,000 cases times 60 cents? 50 cents. 50 cents, so another four grand. So, so he's making a great return in a very short period of time by tying up that extra money. So right. in your situation though, um, it's unlikely in the very beginning that you're going to have just an extra 70 grand kicking around that you can do that right. with. So one of the things we have to take into account is that you're probably not going to be able to take advantage of these types of promotions like he is. So your cost yeah. of goods sold is going to go up. Um, and so where you said that you figured the discretionary earnings could probably be about 105,000, I'm going to knock it down to a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Um, just because you're not, you're going to end up paying more for your product because you don't have access to as much money in the beginning. Once you see, he's been making money at this for a long time. So he's probably got a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. Um, the building, this is part of the deal, isn't it? Yes. And is the building paid for? Building's paid for. Okay. So um, what would it cost you to lease that kind of building? I think that, that that space, our real estate market's not real strong. I think that space would lease for about $2,000 a month. Oh, okay. So on the, the cash flow coming out of this business, what we're going to do is we're going to assume that if you were going to rent the building from him, that would mean we'd have to mm -hmm. take another $24,000 off. Let's call it twenty five to work with round figures. That would bring your cash flow down to seventy-five grand. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you have an estimate ballpark about what that building might be worth? We have both agreed that the ballpark would be about two hundred and twenty-five thousand. Okay. So, if his business normally needs about 
$50,000 of inventory and another $25,000 of, of working capital. And I'm not, where's the working, the cash requirement? Does it come like when he sells to these bars, is he giving them terms? Yeah, no terms. Um, I can't really say these are the numbers that he, that he has given me hmm. or what you would need. I, I, I think what he's thinking because when I asked him how much working capital it would take, he said that it was dependent on the level of in inventory. I, I think what he's thinking is if you had 50,000 in inventory and 25,000 in working capital, then when business picks up in the summer, you'd be able to bring your inventory up to the level that it needs to be. Hmm. Because in inventory is part of working capital, like inventory, cash, receivables, all that stuff together is working capital. And so if he's not, you know, when he delivers beer to a bar, let's say, is the delivery man collecting money? Yeah, it's and it's actually a state law. He can't sell on credit. So they have to oh, okay. pay when it's delivered. All right. So, so someone who's been in this business had a friend in the legislature. <laughs> um, that's great. So there's no receivables. Um, so you don't need, you're not going to have receivables on your balance sheet. You're going to have some cash. You're going to have some inventory. What about suppliers? Are they allowed to extend credit to him? No, he pays when, when it's delivered as well. But he's also paying. So there's no payables either. Okay. Right. So what let, let's then use the 75,000 as the total working capital requirement, whether it's inventory or cash in the bank. So let me get on my calculator here. So we got 485 plus 75 is 560,000 is what he's asking for the business in total. That's, that's what you're going to need to, whether you have money in your own bank or you buy inventory from him, 560 less 225. It means that he's basically asking $335,000 for the business, which after we adjust for rent is going to yield you a cash flow of $75,000 a year. So right. um, that's a, that's a 4.5 roughly times uh, SDE, which, which is really rich for what amounts to a, a, a retail business, right? right? That's quite high. What what were your impressions when you started to look at some of the stuff? There's no way that the, the business could pay for itself, but it wouldn't provide you with any income. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, under these circumstances, if if you borrowed the money to buy this business and you wanted to repay that as quickly as possible, just to put people in the frame of mind of what this would mean at this price is you would work for four and a half years for free right. just to just to hand over the money to pay for this. So it's, it's way too high. Like I would, I would probably be guessing somewhere around two, maybe to two and a half. These accounts, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about the commercial accounts. Do you know what percentage of his sales go to these bars versus the, the consumer traffic? 
It's about 50%. So this is half and half. Yeah. And what other competitors exist for these bars? Like, are there other people looking at, like trying to get their business all the time? Are there active competitors in the market? No, there's no other active competitors. And the reason being, in our state, you're only allowed to certain certain brewers have rights to different counties. So the basically the the distributors that he buys his beer off of are only allowed to sell in are the only ones allowed to sell in this county. So if a bar wants to buy beer, they have to get it through him. They could go a bar could go through about three different distributors to get the entire line that he he can offer out of one place. Okay. So they're pretty sticky, and, and what, is is price ever a consideration, or um, are the prices pretty well set from outside? Like, do the brewers basically tell this guy what what the price is going to be, and then he marks it up a certain amount, or is there? Yeah, any they tell room? him what it they they tell him what it is, and he mm-hmm. marks it up um, a certain amount, and that's and that's basically it, and he's kind of. Whatever they want to charge him, that's he's stuck with it. Okay. And so in this situation, we have an example of it's it's almost like the government is your partner, right? Because they've created this series of rules and and the effect is competition is held down, established players have an advantage the 50% of sales that are made to the bars, um, it's it's highly unlikely that these guys are going to, you know, go elsewhere if they can get everything they need at one-stop shopping from this business. So the threat in that is that if, if the rules ever change. So right. is there any chatter, news, articles, or anything about anyone trying to push reform is it, it, it's well, they're always they're always trying to push reform on the liquor side but not on beer but it's it's kind of one of those things where you think that if they get reform on the liquor side that then they're going to push on beer as well and you know who the proponents of the reform are? Is it, for example, is it the grocery store chains that want to start carrying the product, or how how big are the interests behind reform? Well, the biggest thing is grocery stores want to be able to sell, but under the under the current setup, they would be buying their beer off of a distributor as well, so that wouldn't really affect anything. Okay. The biggest thing with our reform for our for liquor is that it's right now state a state owned system. There is no privately owned liquor store anywhere. Okay, so so people can buy beer from from this business, but if they want a bottle of whiskey, they got to go to a state owned retail outlet. Right. Okay, so so you basically got likely unions and all kinds of other political interests who want the status quo. Correct. Right. Okay. So we we can probably assume that if real change is going to come, it's probably going to take years. Right. Right. 
So what, what, what my gut tells me then is instead of a normal discretionary cash flow multiplier for a small business of about two to two and a quarter, mm. you know, you, you might end up being pushed up to three, right? Yeah. Because we know that so much of the business is kind of uh, assured, right? It, it's oh. unlikely these bars are going to decide to buy from three other people when they could just buy from this place. And, and price doesn't seem to be a big consideration and terms aren't a consideration because they have to pay cash on delivery. So really to lose one of these customers, you would just have to really upset them with some really poor customer service. Right. Right. You, you know, it, it would have to be personal. Someone would have to decide they didn't like you. Right. So if we get up to three times, then we're we're talking about a business that's probably worth about two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, inclusive of the seventy-five thousand dollars of required inventory, because we've been using a okay. a figure that includes inventory. So, you know that would that would be the ballpark that uh, that I would try to be in. What? What's your position? Do you have uh, a bunch of savings? Like what, what would be your contribution or down payment money that you have available? Okay. I have accessible to me $130,000 and I would be comfortable putting a hundred thousand of that into this. Leave me with some reserve. Mm -hmm. Basically what I wanted to offer was a deal where I buy the business, I buy out the working capital and put $25,000 down. So that would, that would be my $100,000. I'm at $150,000 valuation for the business itself. I would want him to carry that note of $125,000 for five years at 5% interest and lease me the building on a seven-year term for $1,000 a month, but on a double net lease where I would also be responsible for either paying myself or paying on top of the lease to him the real estate taxes and insurance on the building. Mm, okay. So, and, and and that wouldn't really affect our cash flow figures too much because his business is paying those costs right now. Anyway. Correct. Um, but if he does lease it to you for $1,000 a month, he's leasing it to you for about half the value likely that we're saying it would be worth in the fair market, right? Right. So do you think that one day you would like to own this building? Yes. Okay. So here's the, the kind of offer that I would probably put together in this situation. I would say, Mr. Seller, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to buy your business inclusive of $75,000 of inventory for two twenty-five. dollars you, should, you shouldn't be, this is an asset purchase. You shouldn't be thinking about splitting these things up because in order okay. for you to run this business, you need that inventory. You need the operating capital. So you're going to buy the business inclusive of $75,000 worth of inventory 
for 225. And then, and, and what you'll say to him is that you're willing to put in my first offer, I would say you're willing to put $75,000 down and you want him to hold a note for the balance. Now, I would always open up by asking for a seven or eight year note with the understanding you're probably going to have to settle for less for a shorter term, yeah. right? Um, when it comes to the building though, um, you know, if he feels that you're giving him, that he's giving you a really good deal on the business, then one of the ways that you can make it up to him, so to speak, in that give and take negotiation sense, is you could say something like this. I'll lease the building from you for $2,000 a month. However, I want an option to purchase, which is good. You know, and I would ask for 10 years, right? With the understanding, you're probably going to have to cut this down with an option to buy it for 225 within 10 years. On closing, he credits you $1,000 for every month you paid rent. And so under a scenario like this, if he sells you the business and you mess up, he's collected 2000 a month in rent. And, you know, he can retake the business and get it restarted again under his own name. So, so his downside for financing the business purchase to you is controlled by the fact that he still owns the building. If everything goes well, right, then he's going to collect interest on his note and he's also going to collect rent on the building. But then what you're doing when you pay rent every month is you're building up a down payment towards the purchase of the building. And so right. maybe after you pay off his note for purchasing the business, maybe, you know, five years have gone by. Well, you've accumulated $60,000 towards a building. Right. And now you can buy the building without having to come up with a down payment because you've got such a big credit coming to you on closing. And if the documentation is done properly, then the banker will recognize that as down payment. So you have to get input from a bank when the paperwork's being drawn up with the attorneys and everyone so that they'll be happy with the way it's been written. Okay. Yeah. And, and at that $2,000 a month lease, I mean, is that something that I would be saying that I would be still responsible for real estate taxes and insurance on the building? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all, that's all subject to negotiation, but typically in uh, when you when a business is renting a standalone um, building for a business, we usually do a double or triple net lease. So when you okay. see like a Dunkin' Donuts or, or a pharmacy that's in a standalone building, usually the, the landlord has simply put up the structure and all the direct expenses for that building are going back to the, the tenant, including maintenance okay. and repair. Usually there's a clause in the lease for things like a major repair, like if the roof needed to be replaced, that's the landlord's responsibility. But, you know, if somebody breaks a door knob or something, then that's on you. The, what you want to show this guy is that 
he can retire and turn his business into a kind of annuity so that mm-hmm. he can continue to have an income. If he's bringing an extra 70000 into his business at the right time of year in order to take advantage of these discounts at year end, then I mean, he's got money on the side. He's been in this business for a long time. He's, he's got these other investments and things. So if you can show him that he can turn this business into a kind of annuity, which means he won't have to dip into his other retirement savings or, or whatever he has for longer, then, um, you know, he could end up doing well on this, especially if you end up paying him a rate of interest on the note of, you know, seven or eight percent. Because if, if you paid cash for the business, he wouldn't be able to take that money and go and get a seven or eight percent rate of return in a, in a fixed income kind of way from anywhere else. And in this scenario, by financing you, he would basically be, um, he would be investing in a business he knows and understands. And one of the things that you may have to do in order to get him to agree to this kind of deal is, is say that you'll submit to him monthly or quarterly financials or your tax returns, for example, so he can keep mm-hmm. an idea, an eye on what's going on in the business. Just like a bank would if they were lending you money. But this this is the kind of, you know, under this scenario, he would be financing more than half the business. And that's the kind of scenario you want to be in. Um, So many people that I've been talking with recently have been getting into these deals where they've been borrowing to buy businesses like these under different SBA programs where there's only a 10% vendor take back and mm-hmm. it's really not enough. You, you want there to be greater exposure for the seller. If it turns out that things aren't the way that they've been presented to you, there's just so much risk in a, in a small business like this. And in this scenario where the guy will continue to be the landlord, um, you know, he's got all these options to take the business back if you should flounder, right? And so the risk for him really is mitigated. Now, is there uh, whenever I looked at this and I looked at getting additional financing, it seemed to me that what a bank would lend on this because you you have the real estate and there and there's some some tangible assets with the business, but I mean a bank is only going to lend a certain amount, and it seemed to me that I mean the the type of buyer that he's looking for at the price that he wants, if he wants all cash, I mean he needs to find someone with well over two hundred thousand dollars in the bank to make this deal happen. I mean, is that something that I should that I should bring up when I'm offering this deal that that's going to be a hard person to find? Well, what here's you know, do you have experience in this kind of industry? Well, I actually used to work at this business. Okay, so you used to work there, so you know how it works, and um, you have good you know credit history and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so what I would do is I would make him this kind of offer. And uh, let's say he says, no, I don't want to do that. And when you say, well, you know, he may counter you or he may not. And if he doesn't counter you, it sounds like you know him because you used to work there. 
what you would then do is say, well, well, what kind of offer do you need? What is it you're looking for? And he'll, he'll say, you know, I want all either more money or more cash down, whatever it is. Then you, you say, okay, I'll give you more cash down, but I'm going to have to go and get a bank loan. And he'll, he'll acknowledge that. Yeah. Okay. You have to go borrow money at the bank. So then what you do is you do up all the paperwork, projections, cash flow, business plan, et cetera, that you're going to need. Then you take it down to the bank and uh, they'll reject you because there's not hardly anything in the way of tangible assets here. Right. Mm. And then you come back to them and you say, well, you know, you know me, I have experience in this industry. I have saved up a large down payment. There's not many people walking around in America today that have this kind of money available to them, right? People, they, they don't really save anymore. Um, mm. And even though I'm an experienced, qualified candidate with good, ex- with good uh, work experience and you know, a, an ability to manage my own money and to save, um, the bank said no. So if you're waiting for somebody to come along that is better than me, I'm just afraid you're going to be waiting for a very long time. And I've done this trick with a lot of people. And, um, you know, then what you do is you blame the banks. You say those terrible banks, they're not helpful to small business, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is if they can't grab something to auction off in the event of a failure, then they're not interested unless they can get some kind of government backing on the loan. And uh, to get government backing on the loan, then you have to go through another whole series of hoops and, you know, qualify the deal. Right. Now, if he wants, if he wants more money down, I mean, is that something that, would it be reasonable for me to offer a note like he could put a lien on my house or whatever we negotiated to make up that difference in case things didn't go well. Yeah. I mean, that's, are you married? No. Yeah. Those kinds of things are usually stressful at home. Mm. It's, it's one thing to put your savings on the line, but then to then put the house on the line, um, so if you offer 75 down and he says, no, I need at least a hundred, let's say, uh, and you don't want to get, you, you could give him some more cash. I know you have more available, but if, if you then came back to him and said, well, I won't give you any more cash down, but I'll let you put a lien on my house. I would not let it be an open lien, uh, like a collateral mortgage. I would want okay. it to be for a specific amount. And the other game that you can also play is the game of personal guarantees. So you could create your own legal entity, LLC, or some kind of corporate structure based on the state that you're in. And that structure, that entity could buy his business. And you could say, you know, I will not give you a personal guarantee on the whole note, but I'll personally guarantee, you know, the first 24 payments, for example. You, and, and, and that means that, that your own neck is on the line. He could sue you if something went wrong in the first two years, if you didn't make some of those payments, but once two years had gone by, 
then you're personally off the hook. Um, it's not an all or nothing thing. You can negotiate, you know, and cut it, slice it and dice it any way you want. But if I was going to put a $25,000 lien on my house, what, you know, here's an example. So we're offering him 225 with 75,000 down. That would mean he's going to carry a note of 150 grand. Okay. And let's say he wants additional collateral. So you say, well, I'll offer you a $25,000 lien on my house. So it's essentially a second mortgage. But what I would do is I would say, once the note to you on the business has been paid down to a hundred grand, then this lien is removed. And your lawyer will help you with, uh, you know, how to structure that as far as the paperwork goes. So what that means is as the business moves forward, um, you start to step back from these, you know, dangerous personal guarantees, things like a lien on your house. And presumably what it means is that, you know, you can pretty well predict what might happen in the next two or three years with this business, but we can't predict what happens in five years. Five years time, they could change the law and they could let anybody set up a distributorship and they can have beer being sold from every little corner store, you know, and, and it could radically change the performance of this business. Right. But likely two or three years from now, things will likely be the same. Right. Okay. And so, so you don't want to leave yourself too exposed for too far out into the future. Makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the times sellers, you know, particularly guys like this, I mean, he's had success with this business for a long time. Um, you know, he probably doesn't need to sell, but if his wife retires, there's going to be pressure at home for him to retire as well. It sounds like if he were to replace himself with a manager, the business wouldn't end up being that great for him anymore. Right. Right. Based on the way he's running it now. So he probably doesn't want to run the risk of that. Like, you know, he'll always be thinking about it and always having to go down there regardless of, of who he's left in charge. And so selling it is, is definitely something that's going to be appealing to him. Um, and anyone who buys this is going to ask him to finance part of it. Unless he lucks out and gets some buyer who doesn't really know anything, but happens to have a lot of money. And that's the wish of a lot of these sellers is that they think that somebody's going to, you know, immigrate from a new country and they aren't going to really know what's going on and they're going to come and offer all cash. But what my experience has shown me time and again is people who have, for example, half a million dollars in their bank account, they're not looking for a business like this. They're looking to buy a $2 million business. Everyone wants to use their cash to leverage up to something bigger. And, you know, this is a good business, but if you put all that money down in cash and then sat there earning a hundred thousand dollars a year, and that included your labor, the return on your money would be very low. Right. And at the end of the day, business is risky. You you want to, you know, try to take advantage of leverage things like a vendor note or bank financing, so that you magnify the returns you're getting from the money that you put down. 
Yeah. Um, the one thing that I do think will help because when I talked to him initially, he he didn't. We didn't talk about terms or anything. He didn't mention if he was willing to finance part of it at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I, he he owns a couple other businesses, which one of them. Those are both partnerships, and one of them's for sale right now. And the other one is a golf course with lease space, and they lease the land that it's on, and the lease will be coming up in a few years. So he's not new to this. I'm sure that it wouldn't be the first time that someone's asked to do this through the years. If he's an experienced business guy and he is um, in his 60s, then it will mean that he's had exposure or heard stories about business dealings. And so he'll he'll be very familiar with the fact that this is how businesses, you know, were sold to a great degree before some of the government programs and SBA programs came along. Um, You know, and, and so it shouldn't be a shock to him. Um, he will be interested in trying to get the most he can for the business. And so one of the things that you can expect from him is if, is if he is game for this kind of offer is he'll probably reply to it with something like, well, if I'm going to finance this much, I want more or I want a higher rate of interest or one of those things. And really from your point of view, the negotiating, the, 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 the one aspect of this negotiation that has to be really the thing that you fight for has to be the level of the down payment okay. because you need to have some money in reserve. Right. Mm. And so if you have 130,000 in cash available, I, I agree with you. Like you said in the beginning, you don't want to put more than a hundred thousand dollars down because not only do you need money for reserves, but you're also going to have some closing bills. You're going to have to pay your lawyers. You're going to have to pay, you know, your accountant during due diligence. And so there's going to be other stuff you're paying for, not just keep buying the business from him. And the way that you structure the offer, it should say that if there happens to be more inventory than the 75,000 at closing, that the purchase price will be adjusted. But if there's too much inventory, it's the note that gets adjusted. And if there's too little inventory, it's the down payment that gets adjusted. And the reason why this is important is because you don't want on closing day to be called by an attorney and told, hey, there's an extra $10,000 of inventory there. You need to bring more money to closing because you may not have the money available. And secondly, if they count the inventory and they find that there's only $65,000 worth of inventory there, what it will mean is that you need some of your cash to go replenish the inventory, right? Because I'm imagining this business, there are a lot of different, you know, brands of beer and a lot of different formats. You know, there's there's six packs, 12 packs, 24 packs, 30 packs, all these different sizes. And if the most popular thing has sold out, and that's the reason why the inventory is low, you need to have money to replenish that or else customers will right. come in and they won't be happy that they can't find what they want. Right? So if the inventory is short, it's the down payment that has to be adjusted so that you're left with that money to go buy uh, new supplies. Yeah. 
is that is is that asking price that he's starting at? I, I know a lot of times with when businesses are are put up for sale, they they come in with some astronomically high number. I mean, is that is that number that he's asking? Is is that something that is common, like to be that far over, or is that especially high? No, in my experience, it's pretty common. Um, people ask what they want. They ask for the moon. I mean, they a lot of people will think that they can ask whatever they want because they can always come down later. And and what I keep repeating to business owners over and over again whenever I'm I'm doing a a seminar for them or anything is is if you ask too much you scare off the reasonable buyer who is really the one who has the capability to buy the business. So in this case, you know, you would be the reasonable buyer. You've got money in the bank, you have experience in this industry and you have good credit, right? And so you're the guy who can actually buy this and run it. And you know, just listen to the questions you're asking me. You're you're doubting if he will agree to sell it to you. So, so what he's doing is he's actually scaring you with this crazy price and it is way too high. Right. right? And um, you know, what may be the case is he's been told by someone that businesses like him sell for maybe four or five times. And, and this is the danger of multipliers because businesses like this might sell for four to five times but not four to five times discretionary cash flow, maybe four to five times EBITDA, right? right? And so what I see happen a lot is people will hear a number, they'll hear a multiplier, and then they'll apply that multiplier to the wrong number. And it'll give too big a value. And when they see the price that it gives them, then they smile. They don't ever stop to think, hey, if I were going to buy this business, would this make sense? They just think, right. oh, I'm rich, <laughs> right? And they just, yeah. they think it's magic. I, the, um, the video that is coming out tomorrow morning to people on my email list, I tell three stories of botched sales in 2017. And one of them has to do with a guy who actually paid for a business valuation. And the person he went to is used to working on much larger companies and the method that they used ended up giving them a value, which is way too high. And so the net result was this guy was walking around with this big price tag and he eventually came to me because no one was making him any offers. And, and when I evaluated his business, I came back with a number that was less than half what he was asking for. And he didn't, he didn't want to accept it because in his mind, he was thinking that he was a millionaire. He really wasn't. Right. I mean, I've seen it over and over again in our area whenever, a lot of times it seems like with bars and restaurants, when they go up for sale, mm. they'll start out with, you know, there was one started out like $750,000 and they ended up selling it for 300000 and the seller carried some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bars and restaurants are really risky you know, it's just a risky business to be in. So they don't sell for very high multiples. Um, what, and you would have to have some discipline with this one too. When you make your offer, if it, if it, if he hasn't really started to go out and try to sell it and you make an offer that he thinks is too low, mm. he may not want to deal or negotiate with you because he, he thinks he can get so much more. And, and 
the the key is to keep in touch with him is to keep that relationship open and keep you know calling him and just let him know that you're interested you're still interested but it has to be under the terms that make sense for you right and you can you can always like blame other people um you ever watch cheers on television years ago yeah you remember norm the guy who used to sit at the bar and he was the painting contractor and everyone used to take advantage of him because he was such a nice guy. Yeah. Well, in, in one of the episodes, he, um, he created a fictitious partner to help him negotiate. So whenever he was on the phone with people, they would say, Oh, you know, Norm, I can't pay you this week. And he would say, well, you know, that's fine with me, but my partner, he says that you got to pay this week or we can't show up on the site tomorrow. Right. And so, you know, when you're in a situation like this and he says, no, you know, Ryan, I need more money. I need more down, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then what you often can come back with is you say, well, look, you know, based on your asking price, I ran through a bunch of different scenarios and I talked with my accountant and I talked with my advisor and I talked with my wife and we just couldn't see how it made any sense. And this is the kind of deal that would make sense for us. And, and if we can't have a deal that makes sense for us, then it just makes more sense for us to leave our money in the bank, which is absolutely the truth, right? You're not lying, but, um, you're also making it understood that you're not going to do something foolish just by being bullied into a corner. Right. Yeah. And I, another thing that I was going to bring up if he was stuck on his initial price was that if I took that total price of 560,000 and I was and I was to put $100,000 down and finance that for 12 years at 6% interest I would only be making about $30,000 a year for running the business and I don't know anyone that has $100,000 in the bank to put down that would be willing to quit their job put that money down and work for that amount. Did did you ever watch my video from, it's probably about three or four years old now, maybe it's, it's called negotiating for outrageously overpriced things. Yeah. Okay. And so in that video, I, I, one of the negotiating things that I've, that I've used in the past is the, is the I'm an idiot stance. So what you basically do is just what you've done. You say, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough to figure this out. But when I look at these numbers, what it shows me is that for the next 10 years, I'm going to have to work for $30,000 a year. So I don't see how that works, but me, but it's probably me. Can you show me how, how this deal is supposed to make sense? Right. Right. And, and, it, and they can't because it doesn't because it's way overpriced. Okay. So, you know, there's obviously a room here to negotiate, especially if this guy's in, been in a bunch of other businesses. I would, I would start off with the, the offer that we've talked about. And if you have to come up 10 or 15,000 on the down payment, or if you have to pay more overall, but he's willing to give you terms over enough years for it to make sense from a cash flow point of view, then Ultimately, you're going to get what you want, and you don't want to stick your neck out too much as far as uh, any kind of personal guarantees or a lien on your house. You want to make sure that if you do have to do that, it's very clear when that ends. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, you don't want to get years into this, have the rules change, and then have your house become in jeopardy. Right. Now, if I, <clears throat> what's what's the typical time frame that it's a good idea to try and have a business like this paid off in? I mean, twelve years. What? Well, we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about the operating business and we're talking about the real estate. So typically what people think about real estate, you're thinking in, you know, it would be easy to talk about 15, 20 or 25 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because the real estate is a long lasting, durable asset. And when you get into the position where you want to buy it, you'll be able to use a mortgage. So you'll be able to finance over a long time at a pretty good interest rate. So, so that part of it, you can think longer term. The, the actual operating business part, you know, I don't like to see people go longer than five or seven years on, on the financing. Okay. Just because you, it's impossible to know what the future holds and how things might change. Right. And it's one of the, it's one of the big warnings that I give people all the time is you know, business is risky, you, especially this business where, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're kind of a partner of the governments because their rules make this business worth more, make it more stable and make the terms great, you know, as far as cash on delivery. If let's say, let's say in two years time, they change the rules a little bit and all of a sudden they say that it's okay for distributors to offer 30 day terms to bars. Okay. Right. What, what would that do to this business? Well, number one, if you tried to say no, other people would come in and they would say yes. And so then you would be at a competitive disadvantage. Okay. And if you said, okay, then in that case, I will give 30 day terms to my bars. So on sales of 1.3 million a year, uh, was one, 1.3 million, uh, divided by two, because about half the business comes from, uh, bars, uh, gives us 650 grand divide that by 12 is, uh, almost $55,000. So if you were to give all the bar owners 30 days to pay, all of a sudden this business would have to find $55,000 of operating capital to finance receivables, right? So that would, that would suck up like almost a year's earnings after debt service just to grow operating capital. And then once you have receivables, of course, then you have another problem, right? Is you know that a couple of them are going to end up going bad. Right. So, so this business would become radically different if that one rule changed. Yeah. And, and, and those are the risks here. Because this business does rely on government regulation to a certain extent. If it was an open free market business, if this was a distributor of socks, right? All that stuff would be built into it already. The bad debts, the receivables, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, so that's the thing that makes it profitable. It's also the thing that makes it risky. For, t- for too many years in the future, right. you know, we can count on stability in the near term, but, but, you know, rules change. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's given me... It, you've reassured what I was thinking on how much it was overvalued. Yeah, and, and it's it's pretty common for that to be the case. I mean, so many people that contact me to work with me who are trying to buy a business that, you know, and in a lot of cases, the business is overpriced by double, uh, sometimes even more. A lot of the times even more and um you know i i, I guess the, the the thing that th- this is what i have to say about that is that the people who own and run these small businesses they know their business but they don't know the business of buying and selling businesses right and they can very easily empathize with the customers in their business so car dealers they can empathize with their customers. They know, hey, if I'm trying to sell these $25,000 cars, very few people have $25,000 in the bank account. So how can I help my customers be my customer? And they go over to the bank and they go to the leasing company and they arrange all these programs so that when the buyer shows up, it's taken care of, right? You know, just sign right here. You can have your $25,000 car. But for some reason, that same understanding of looking at their customers needs when it comes to selling their business they lack that because they don't think of their own business as a piece of inventory that they're trying to sell because to them it's so much more right to them it's like their livelihood it's almost like a child many people are emotionally connected to their business you know this guy's been in this business for 34 years right so a lot of his identity is wrapped up in this business for example and so it clouds people's understanding of you know, what they're worth. You know, it's, it's, I've had a lot of sellers who've said to me before when I've told them what I think they can get for their business, they say, well, it's worth a lot more than that to us. And I'll say, yeah, but you're not the one buying it. Right. right? And so often it, small businesses, they don't sell because someone's trying to cash out. They sell because there's a personal, a pressing personal requirement on the part of the seller. They need to sell. And retirement is actually one of the least pressing motivations that I, in, my, in my experience. Because if a doctor tells you you're sick and you're going to die, or if your wife tells you you're getting a divorce, or if suddenly you need to move to another city or something, you know, then you're going to sell your business because you know you have to turn the page in your life. There's a new chapter. But people decide on their own when they're going to retire. And he's talking about retirement because his wife is going to retire. He doesn't have to retire, right? She can retire and then she can start to apply pressure at home for him to retire. But you've already said he's only working about nine months of the year. So... Instead of selling the business, he could reduce that to seven months, do some more traveling with her, right? He could probably promise that he's going to sell the business and keep telling her that he's going to sell the business. And he could probably pull that off for two years before she starts to get really fed up, right? So the motivation may not be there yet. And and you'll learn pretty quick when you make this offer. If he just flat out says, no, I'm, I'm waiting to see if someone can meet my price or whatever, you just have to back off and keep in touch with him. 
let them know that you're still interested and let them know you're willing to do a deal when the deal will work for you. Because he may be in his mind thinking that he'll spend the next two years trying to find that foolish buyer with all the money in the bank. Right. Yeah. You, you can't let yourself become compulsive. You can't act under compulsion. You can't put yourself in a position where you need to buy the business. It has to be a deal that makes sense for you. So, so right now you have a job, do you? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, keep showing up on time, you know, do your job. And when he's ready and the deal is right, then, then this is probably something you can move on. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that the motivation's there yet, but I mean, I'm going to make an offer and see what he says. And, and I say that because he told me whenever we met, he said that this is a gut wrenching decision for him and that his wife has mentioned about 200 times in the last year that she wants him to advertise the business. So I know he's getting pressure from her, but he's not really retiring because he feels he needs to. Well, you know, you, if you don't make an offer, you're always going to get turned down, right? You've got a no today. You're only going to get a yes if you make an offer. So you do need to make an offer and you do need to make an offer before he talks to someone like a business broker. Um, because that will play into his decision. If he gets your offer, then he goes to a business broker and the business broker tells him that he can get more money for it. The very first thing he's going to do is calculate what the commission will be to the broker. And if he still thinks he can get ahead by not hiring the broker and doing a deal with you instead, then he may do a deal with you. The, the other thing too, is that he could be considered about, he could be uh, concerned about legacy, right? about the business carrying on and all that kind of stuff. And where he already knows you and knows that you're able to run the business that you've worked in it and that you know the business, he might feel more comfortable knowing that you're going to take over the business. He might feel good about knowing the business is going to stay in local hands, right? Mm -hmm. Not being sold to someone from, from outside the community or anything like that. And so there are a lot of good things that come from your offer and it will still make sense for you. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that sounds good. I mean, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much where I'm at. I mean, I, you know, I understand that if he's not going to work on price, then there's nothing, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to meet back up with him, make an offer, and see what he says. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for joining me today. And if anyone else out there wants to do one of these holiday chats, I think there's still two left and we still have time uh, this week and next week to fit them in. And um, otherwise, we'll, we'll see you on the YouTube channel or on the blog. And thank you, Ryan, so much for, uh, for making contact and doing this call with me today. Thanks, Dave. All right. And as always, everyone, you can join me at davidcbarnett.com. And with that, we'll say goodbye and Happy New Year. Talk to you later.